episode of Punch Up Your Life. This is a show where someone pitches me their life as if it's a big budget blockbuster Hollywood film. And uh, then we we get into it and we lay down a few notes and tweak it and really get into the who and the how and the why. And uh, the who this week is always me, Andrew Lazat, the host, but it is also Chris Middleton, whom I love. But before we talk about Chris, just because I have to give every recording a cultural benchmark uh, for when this is actually being released and versus recorded, uh, we're at the convoy. We're at the convoy stage, you know, uh, and it seems like they're about to lift mask mandates on March 1st. And uh, it really bothers me that the convoy is going to take credit for that. And then I just, I just bury that rage deep down inside. And I accept the fact that I'm never going to enjoy the sound of a, a semi truck's horn ever again with the childlike wonder of a child. Alas, but this is a great episode. Chris is great. Um, we mostly hang out on rides on the TTC back and forth uh, to just commiserate and uh, vent and kvetch, uh, all that good stuff. Um, because I always feel like we're around the same places. I don't know if we've ever actually worked together. I just enjoy his brain and how it works. Great writer. Check him out on Exclaim and the CBC News and Parton and Pearl. Uh, just fantastic. And uh, this one, this one's very interesting because it's, it's, I would almost say it's a memory regression play um, because <laughs> Chris is actually having real time revelations of memories that are coming back to him while we're recording this. And so it's almost a shame that we didn't have a visual aspect because I can't emphasize this enough that he was really suddenly remembering things that happened to him in university in that moment. Uh, He did not mean to bring up the entire third act. Uh, And so, it, yeah, it's really interesting. And it's also a lot about, like, self-reflection and uh, assessment, but also with kindness. And I feel like that's what's missing from the um, the mystery genre. You know, I, how has the murderer changed? Or, you know, is there self-reflection? Uh, well, I guess that's Mindhunters. Okay, good. Everyone go watch Mindhunters. But first, before you do that, um, listen to this, which is like sexy David Fincher redo of uh, Cheers, but as Riverdale. Huh? Yeah. It's a little bit of everything. So um, you're welcome and enjoy.
There we go. It worked. Hello, Great. magic is real. Hello, <laughs> audience. Uh, this is once again another thrilling episode of Punch Up Your Life, where I am joined by the amazing Chris Middleton, who uh, also had just the most polite reaction to that, to just sit and wait politely instead of roasting me. And being I mean, ready. I'm the podcast police. I don't like to talk until I get introduced, because that's rude. Yeah. Um, but... Thank you so much for having me. Amazing is a very generous term for what I am. <laughs> but... well, you know what? Our, to, to the degree of our friendship is mostly just been good conversations on the streetcar. You know what I mean? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And they've been great conversations. I feel like that's a high bar. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel like that's most of my relationships with comedians is just which way are you going on the streetcar? Oh, are you going that way? Okay, yeah. bye. Or are you going this way? Great. You know, all right, I have five minutes to have like a deeply introspective conversation with you and put you back together before the stop hits. Like it's a, it's a very subtle art. I also feel like I have seen a number of comedians crying on the streetcar, to which I do not judge them because I feel like it gently rocks you. So if yeah. there's anything bubbling below the surface, it's coming up. Oh my god, I haven't been on a streetcar in so long. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Very gentle. That's why yeah. I think uh, people who join the Navy just out at sea, rocking back and forth, they must just be crying all the time. Just like I'm healthy, sure. healthy tears. Especially the, the newer ones don't get the same rock as the old ones because I lived, I used to live all the way out in Etobicoke. So I take the 501 all like all the way down. So I'd be oh. on the streetcar for like maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes, depending on like where I'm coming, where I'm going, where I'm coming from. And like, yeah, those long treks are so outside of what I remember now because it's just been so long since I've been outside. Right. No, do you do the thing where, you're you've got such a long ride that you've already you have a setup like I'm on my laptop I've got this book open on another seat and I'm just getting this is my office for 40 minutes yeah I found like because during the pandemic I've had to make time for my reading because I was so good about reading beforehand I would I would plow through like maybe two three books a month and now I'm like it, I really need to like set a time. I've now I've now done the thing where like I have a nighttime routine and reading is part of my nighttime routine. So I will pick a book, read three to four chapters before I go to sleep, and then three to four. Wow, three to four. I always try to get a lot done. Um, yeah. Well, right now I've really been into poetry books, so it's just been like five to six poems, and then I'm then I fall asleep depending on how long the poems are. Okay, all right. No, that's good. Yeah, I, I used to use Italio Calvino that way. Uh, if you've ever read the, was it the invisible cities? It's very good. Okay. It's, it's doing poems based on architecture from the perspective of Marco Polo. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's a, like a historical novel, but it's broken up with poetry and he's describing different parts of the city back to the uh, Mongolian emperor. It's very okay. beautiful, but it's like, there's nothing else like it. Okay, I'll pick that up. I've been I've been recently getting into poetry. I've been on a weird poetry kick. Um, mostly since I've found Haniva Durkeeb. I don't know. Okay. Uh 
shout out to Hanif. I don't think he needs my shout out. He's a MacArthur genius right now. So oh, he'll be fine. He's he'll be fine. Be- but uh, my friend recommended They Can't Kill Us Till They Kill Us. It's like a book of essays about like, he's like a pop punk guy. And like, uh, like the way that he talks about music and the way he's so poetic and he breaks them up with like poetry and interstitials. He also okay. is a poet and has a bunch of poetry books and I've read all of them. Um, but They Can Kill Us Till They Kill Us has the best essay about Carly Rae Jepsen and Fall Out Boy that I think I will ever read to my entire life. Oh, wow. Also, let's just do shout outs to MacArthur Genius Grant people. <laughs> like, Twyla Tharp, you earned that, girl. <laughs> Dance yes, about yes. it. Yeah. Please. <laughs> um, Celebrate successful like people. This is the decent segue, naturally, into what we're about to talk about, which is university. Yes, uh, university. Do you want to say your pitch? Sure. I tried to get together a pitch that was like cohesive because what I pitched you over text was just like, I think I want to talk about this. <laughs> I realized that was not an elevator pitch. That was what have gotten thrown out in the room. Yeah. Um, so like this is kind of roughly what I want. I don't know if it's like going to be what we what I want towards the end of this conversation, but this is what we're going to start with. So Great. I love the open mindedness. Uh, yeah, so a previous bar owner gets arrested for illegal activity, but he can't help his case because he can't remember the past 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, all right, so I'll, I'm going to take a wild swing and say you're not the bar t- or are I am the bar owner. That's the thing. Really? Yeah. A lot of people don't know this about me. I Because I went to McGill. Uh, it's not a flex. Yeah. <laughs> um, I went to McGill and I... Worked at the student bar at Miguel, which is Gertz Bar. If you don't already know it, it's been around since the '80s. My mom, when she went to Concordia, she went there a lot. Like, if you know, if you went to Miguel or you've been in Montreal for the past like tw- like couple decades, you know about Gertz. Right. And in my second year, I got a job there as a busboy, and I worked my way. I worked there for four years. I worked all the way up to running the bar. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so I went from busboy to bartender after my first year, and then I went from bartender for two years to night supervisor for, like, a couple months. And then after the night supervisor position left, I there was an opening in, like, the food and beverage department that my boss was like, you're not doing anything. You're graduated. Do you want a job? And I just ended up running front of house for, like, our student cafeteria, uh, admin for events, and then just, like, any bar operations were mine, too. Wow. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I was a really bad boss too. I'm gonna. I was gonna like, if you're listening and you I, you worked for me, I am so sorry. I was 22 and should not have been running a bar. <laughs> Were you like a bad boss, like a tyrant, or a bad boss and like, yeah, for every shot they do, you do a shot. Um, I want to say I was fair, but I think I like. I've been doing a lot of reflecting on this because, like, also that part of my life, like, since it's like nightlife, I can't. Mm-hmm. I don't remember a ton of it. Sometimes I'll get like a weird flash. Like I was going, I was, I moved in with my boyfriend recently or moved my stuff to my boyfriend's house. And I found this old hat from one of my old supervisors who I just like completely forgot about. And I'm like, wow, this man was like a friend for three years. And I forgot his face. (laughs) And there's just so many people like I've gotten like LinkedIn requests from old employees that I'm like, whoa, I forgot that you existed. And like, it's such a weird thing where like, I like, I think about it as like the worst and best time of my life, but I think it's also like I was like deep into like work culture and like I'm 
since the pandemic, I've been very much become anti-work. <laughs> yes. And looking back on some of my behavior as a boss, I was like, wow, I would have fucking hated me. Like, cause like I did have like a little mini revolution towards the end of my time there where like a lot of employees started to like talk back to me and like do, do stupid shit. And I would reprimand them. Cause I was like, I'm your boss. But like, wow, I would have done the exact same thing because I was a piece of shit. I would have hated the right. boss that I was. Were you just like, I am the machine or I am that man that they're always singing about in 70s songs? Yeah, I'm like, I I remember there was one bartender who I was friends with for two years. And then when I became the manager, she like I, I started to like kind of like tighten the leash on her because she like did not really want to work very hard. She would, cause like also the bar, like the way that it was managed, there were a lot of tricks you can do to like embezzle money. That's a, I'm, no easy way of saying this. I don't know if the statue was on that. I'm sorry, oh, yeah. but no, like, okay. cause we had a, we didn't have like a free pour system, which is what a lot of bars do. We had uh, a, uh, a programmed bar system. So like on the tap, there was a button that was like one for pitcher, two for pints, oh, okay. three for half pints, four for top ups. But for some of the beers, if you pressed one, it would give you a pitcher and a half. So I'd be like, who wants a pitcher of this beer? And then I'd get three. I'd press the button twice, collect the money for three, and then just put the rest in my tips. So like yeah. stuff like that is like, again, embezzlement, but you know it's the restaurant industry. About this podcast <laughs> is for some reason, people always feel free to just go like, oh, can I swear? As if I were some moral guy, but they, they they won't they won't ask me. Hey, can I admit to a crime? <laughs> I mean, if you worked in the restaurant industry long enough, you have committed some sort of crimes. But yeah. um, I'm not I'm not going to say what I did at my last job because that's still fresh. This was like uh, I was 22. I'm 28 now. So you do the math. Six years, I guess. Right. I don't know. I can't do math. Um. But yeah, like it, uh, so like she would, she would do that stuff and I would try to be like, she wasn't doing it smartly. And so I would crack down on her and be like, if you're going to do it, at least do it right. Like, don't be like, don't be like brazen about it. And yeah. we got into huge fights and we stopped being friends after that. And I like stopped scheduling her because like, I was like, you're not a good bartender. So why would I schedule you a lot? And like, I ruined people's lives. Like I would not schedule them on the days that they requested. I would, um, like I was very like no phones at the at the bar, and if you if I find you with your phone, you're gonna get sent home. I like sent people home a, a ton for having their Ooh. phones on. It was I was like a terrible boss. <laughs> like I was like wow, I was a tyrant. I was angry. I was 22, so like it's no excuse. I ruined these people's lives for a period of time. And if you're listening, I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I realized how much harm i had caused to a lot of former employees that i had and a lot of it is like i don't even remember a lot of the people that were there and a lot of people who worked for me like but i'm like wow i probably was terrible to everybody um we're for 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 timeline doesn't have to be true but just for the sake of the film like are you mm -hmm. still in university during this uh, no, I feel like the bulk of the movie takes place. I want it to be like, I think I pitched it to you as like uh, part Riverdale, part Memento, where like, because I don't remember a lot of this stuff happening. Right. So and I'm, is this from drinking or just PTSD or? 
I think maybe a mixture of both. I was drinking pretty heavily <laughs> at yeah. the time. I don't drink heavily right now. I'm a little bit of a lightweight and I don't drink ever, but in university I was very hardcore. Uh, okay. Or hardcore is. Um, but yeah, so I think it's a mixture of like PTSD, trauma, like maybe something big happened after university. Like I hit my head or something or like I got yeah. hit by a bus. Like this one can be like a little bit stupid. This is also going to be like yeah. up because like the way that I see it, it is partying and it is university. And I want it to be like a mixture of like euphoria meets Riverdale meets Memento. So you get those like weird stitches of like beautiful euphoria shots in these like really ridiculous Riverdale scenes. But then right. the main case that's happening that's get, getting built around. It's just like me not remembering stuff. And it's this weird, like, I don't know what's going on. And I'm trying to recollect what's happening. It's like David Fincher does Animal House or something. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Actually, David Fincher does House Bunny. There we go. Oh, that, <laughs> good call. Um, is there, for the sake of layers of mystery, are you out at this time, in period in your life? Out as in? Just like, I'm gay and talking about oh, yeah. it? So. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't even register that as like a, like, of course I'm gay. What do you mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Everybody's, yeah, no, uh, I was very much gay at the time. Actually, the thing that I re- remember <laughs> yesterday, uh, when I moved up to being a bartender, the guy that replaced me as a busser, I had a huge crush on. And like, we, I flirted with him constantly, but like, I was like, this is a weird power dynamic. I'm not going to infringe on this. But I remember he quit because he wasn't getting moved up to being a bartender and the minute that he quit, I asked him out and he was like, I have a boyfriend. And I was like, well, fuck. <laughs> I shot my shot yeah. and I got, but like this, this crush, I, this crush I had nurtured for like seven months got like vehemently rejected. And I'm like, okay, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, wow. <laughs> yeah. I so mean, at the time I was gay. Yes. This will yeah. be a storyline in there. Okay. I also had a crush on like the, one of the security guards too. I would like flirt with him constantly. He was very straight but I would tease him about it all the time. Oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah. you know, that's good. Keeps you, keeps you nimble. Yeah. Keeps you ready. <laughs> uh, no, I was just thinking about how like um, that movie shape of water, how technically it's about that woman falling in love with the sh- uh, 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 sea creature. Yeah. Sea creature. Yeah. And, uh, but everybody else in it is also hiding a deep truth and it becomes like second layer to a mystery and like who's in the room with who plays a different hierarchy. So just, Mm -hmm. just room for as many mysteries as possible. Um, what, what type of bar was it? Was it a pub where it, was it? Okay, this is the thing. Pub, Starbucks places. It was a, it was like a dive bar. But we tried to be a club. So the aesthetic was very like when I first started working there, they did a huge renovation on the bar, which mm-hmm. I think made the bar less functional because um, there used to be like a sidebar. You can like the doors led to the basement. Nobody there's no infringement. It was a lot bigger. There was a lot more space. But when I started there, they had undergone this giant renovation to have like a center bar that was like all white and stainless steel. Um, I remember the white countertops they got would always stain. It was like gross and disgusting. Um, oh my god, so much mold underneath every crevice because nothing <laughs> was sealed properly and there was just liquid everywhere. Um, but yeah, so there was like this like 
center bar, like in a bougie restaurant. At a, at a certain point, we got LED strips to like go underneath the bar, so it had cool colors. Oh, but like the furniture in the bar was like banquettes that were like ripped and like old and gross, rickety tables and like rickety chairs. So like very much like a pub that's trying to renovate into a club, but can't afford can't afford it. Okay. All right. So it's just like you can't hide the you can't hide the smell or no, here. you very much could not. But also it was in it was in the student building. So if you know like cause it's a it's the student bar at Miguel, so like um it's in one of the university buildings. Oh, okay. Oh. Was it's it? very weird because like yeah. it, it it does feel like a bar when you're in it, but the washrooms were in the hallway, so you you go out and you like hit with like that fluorescent light. <laughs> that you get to at like university buildings and then you go back in and it's like a party. It's such a weird, it's such a weird vibe. Like it's just carved out in the, in the basement. Were you, because you controlled liquor in a university, were you just like on a massive power trip? And like- oh yeah. Um, Cause I didn't really, I was not really much of a partier in university and sorry, in high school. So when I got to mm-hmm. university, like I still had a little bit of that, like shy, shy meekness i feel like that that job really made me more confident more outgoing because i had no choice but to party because i was around party people like like there was there were times when like we would all just be drinking doing shots because also part of part of the mandate of the bar is that we're not allowed to make a profit we're supposed to break even because our our mandate is to provide accessible partying to students so drinks were like two dollars and like Oh wow! We'd have like crazy, insane deals every every day, and it's like with pictures were ten dollars. With like, like you can get like there was something called the blackout special, which is not <laughs> the official name for it, but is what everybody called it. Oh, okay. You where you get four shots of rail tequila, vodka, rum, or whiskey with a pitcher of beer, and it was like sixteen dollars. <laughs> Yeah. Insane. (laughs) We were not allowed to give it to people who were by themselves. We had to like see the group of four that they had it with, see them all take a shot and then like give them a pitcher of beer because like at that point it's like, we're over serving you. But like first year they're also, they didn't care about that stuff. So like, I think we got like the ambulance called on us, like at least once a night. Like it was really bad. Like, campus security hated us because people would just like stumble drunk and like fall on campus uh a lot of people's had to get their stomach pumped like i've seen some like crazy shit there but like and people were like doing drinking games in the bar too which is very illegal now it's now i mean now it's done because it's covid but uh when i left like it we had really like tightened everything up to the point where like a lot of that stuff wasn't happening anymore but like a lot of people who remembered that era were fighting back against us. So it was this like constant power struggle of like what the old guard really wants, which is just like a place to party and like be debaucherous with mm-hmm. what the new people want, which is just like, we just want to have a nice time and not get fucked up. <laughs> were, were you getting like bribes or something at any point? Were you like the godfather of booze? I wasn't getting bribes, but I was definitely uh if you were nice to me i was nice to you um because i also turned around pretty quickly like i was a i was actually a pretty good bartender in the fact that like i was able to like clear clear like 50 people in like 20 minutes just by like efficiency and like the tetris of like taking orders 
knowing what, right. what knowing what's faster, knowing what's slower, and just like getting people, just like clearing people out. Um, but if you tip me too, I was like very nice to you. If you did not tip me, I was a dick. Like I, I remember this one girl. She wasn't tipping me all night, and she waved a five dollar bill in my face to get my attention. I snatched the five dollar bill and ignored her all night because I was just like, I'm not fucking. I don't oh. care. This one girl, she also like would not tip me ever. She came behind the bar once and posed for a picture. I don't remember. I just remember seeing her pose for the picture. And then I remember just screaming at her as she's crying <laughs> and the security guards laughing at the situation because I'm getting so upset. And he's just like escorts her out and kicks her out because she's not allowed behind the bar. But like the next time she came in, she apologized and tipped me, which I was like, thank you. I feel like right now there's two types of listeners happening and uh happening what yeah and uh there there's the people that have never worked any type of like customer service that are just abhorred <laughs> at what we're hearing and oh, then yeah. there's people who are like ex-servers and bartenders and hosts and busters that are just silently crying and saluting you oh yeah i gave no shit because also when you work at the student bar you have a different co- like you have a contract so you're part of the student union, so you're employed by the student union, so it's really hard to get fired. So, like, I've seen bartenders, like, fully just, like, leave mid-shift, go and make oh. out with somebody, and then just, like, return at the end of the night so drunk. Because, like, and that was, like, pretty common, like, because you couldn't get fired unless you That's- did something, like, terribly wrong. I remember when I was the manager, this guy was not giving people their change, which is straight up illegal. Uh, because he was taking the change as a tip and not telling them. So I remember the, the uh, but like, I could not fire him. I just had to document yeah, every, I had a huge file on this guy. And finally, like, I think I didn't book him. Like the, our, our tipping point was uh, St. Patrick's day. Cause we also like, we started together. So like he was a busser at the same time I was a busser, but then I moved up faster than he did. He huh. eventually became a bartender because he was just there for so long. So we butted heads a ton because he hated me. I hated him, but I had way more power in the situation. So I would just ruin his life. <laughs> um, so I didn't book him for St. Patrick's day, which is like one of our biggest years. Like, I think I, I think as a bartender, you can walk away with like five, $600 just that one night. Um, yeah. And he came to my office and screamed at me um, as I was like trying to work in front of our boss, like, like my boss and his head head boss, he like screamed at me. And like, then I was like, it was the end of my shift. So I like clocked out and I left and uh, he was like screaming at me in front of like all the other employees, everybody at the bar. And I was just like, okay, bye. And I left and I get a call from my head boss, like five minutes later, just being like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, he's done. So, cause I had such a huge file on him and he had done that thing. That was the only way I can get him fired, which like it was great because he like he came into my he came to my office like groveling apologizing to me and I was just like I don't like you you don't like me you get one more shift and then you're done like goodbye which was great um, again this is the tyrannical boss that I was yeah. like that was awful I was an awful boss no but at the same time I love that there's this whole there is an animal house like frat house element to this and like sea debauchery so like where does the film where do we start I think we start. Like the trial starts, the trial begins as opening statements. Okay. So we get like the two sides of the story of like 
like you're about to witness like this guy's nice he's cool he's great he's like he's an older he's been so many years what's going on and then you have the prosecutor just being like this monster of capitalism (laughs) is abhorrent and like has ruined the law and broke this 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 and like you're gonna about to hear testimony about how awful he is and Maybe there's a narrator. I'm I'm still like kind of hit or miss. Again, it's like I also want like I keep dropping Riverdale as a reference because like I love the Riverdaleification of things. Right, and it's just and like, the... hot teens doing shitty dialogue in insane circumstances. You know, like it's like Riverdale's part of that. Riverdale, the new Bel Air reboot is like the that too. Um, Euphoria, Euphoria. It's just like this really heightened teen. But... Okay, uh, you are bringing up another phenomenon in television where, like, uh, like uh, university is like high school part two. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where all of a sudden the same people that you were watching in the high school version magically got into all the same university. And some of the faculty came over. Like, um, Saved by the Bell did that. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Boy Meets World. Um there's a third one that escapes me, but like, is there, is there any of that pullover? Uh, in, in like, even keeping in the same dynamic where it's the same, like, it's the same, like, Oh, here are the like jerk jocks. Here's the like mean girls. Here's the, Oh, they're definitely like clicks at the bar. Yeah. Like, uh, cause that's also like- another thing. It's like normally in a university campus, you wouldn't bump into those people ever again because it's too Mm -hmm. large but beer brings everyone together (laughs) yeah i mean i knew pretty much everybody just by virtue of working at the bar at gertz Mm -hmm. as a bartender so like i was very front-facing i remember one time uh i was at i was waiting at a subway stop and like i just hear from like on top of me just somebody scream you're my favorite gertz bartender and i like look up and she like waves and i'm like cool <laughs> right um but like yeah i know weirdly so many mcgill like especially if you're super involved with like clubs or um because like also part of our thing was every night a different club ran coat check which right. they're supposed to run an event, but basically we had they had a they had an event contract where they like rent the bar, they pay I think three hundred dollars, and then they charge two dollars a co check, and they can do whatever they want in the bar, and like it's it's supposed to promote like student community, and it's like a relatively cheap fee to like rent out a huge space for like right. an event, and you're supporting a cause. You could also do like half the bar, or like just like have an informal event, and there's like different levels. What I like about this is there's so many people that all would have a motive to screw you over. In this. Oh, 100%. This is the best part. Uh, what, what, what's the, where are we trying to solve again? Was there a murder or was there just embezzlement? Or? No, I think, I think everybody's trying to take me down specifically. Cause like, I feel like it's one of those things where like, I start out like he's the hero of the story, but then like it really flips and I am the true villain all along. Yeah. Okay. All right. No, I'm all for that. I would also love a scene where you need to drink to get your memory back. Oh, that would be cool. <laughs> like I'm in like a prosecutor's office and they're like, remember, and he like puts yeah. a 40 and I just like <laughs> drink it. Or like you're doing shots with the the, the jury or yeah. something. They're like they're like present. I have to like do shots and they're just like, what is he doing? Yeah. Um 
like to build the case. And then every time I do it, like a shot or like have a huge drinking spell, I like flash back into like the moment. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like the other you comes out. Yeah. A very like Jekyll Hyde situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I have to get like, I like, oh yeah, no, sorry. I don't know what that thought was going to be. So <laughs> I also, I was also wondering if we could like, cause, uh, kind of frat house is in here. We know that there's pranks and stuff going on. Uh, is there, is there any like dead poet society moment? Is there one like dear mentor professor who's hanging out at the bar too much or, um, Oh my God. I don't think there was any, a lot of janitors would hang out at the bar. We actually had to ban a bunch of janitors because they all got way too drunk and were way too creepy. Oh my God. I I just remember that. Holy shit. Right. (laughs) Again, this is why I wanted to choose it. I'm unpacking a lot of this like weird, deep trauma that I have. Like, yeah, there's this one bartender. This is one janitor who would, who was the janitor for uh, one of the main libraries down the street. And he would always Mm -hmm. come up. Remember I had to ban him. Like I had to ban him because he was getting like frit, like, like frisky with younger women. And I was just like, you gotta get out. You can't be here anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) so so real dark (laughs) so what do you think well ah i could go the metaphor route but what what are you trying to remember what i think i'm trying to prove that i'm innocent of like crimes that i'm not actually like this horrible person that everybody makes me out to be uh because like again i like remember some of the stuff and i was like wow i was a huge asshole and a dick and like if people had problems with me, like whatever they need from me. Like I would totally like sit there and be like, I'm sorry. I didn't listen to you. Um, but for a long time I was like, no, like in the moment I'm like, no, I'm right. Like I've been working here. Cause I also, I was, I was like deeply embedded into this like work culture where like I worked so hard to get to where I was. Like the reason why I became the manager of the bar was because I worked, I was the best bus boy and then I was the best bartender and then I was the best night supervisor. So like, obviously I was the best person to run, the whole thing and uh like at the time i was like i worked so hard for where i'm at if you're not working as hard as i am then like i don't respect you as much so it's it's a very dangerous work culture because also it's like this is a part-time job you're doing in university that's like very fun i took it way too seriously but i understand where you're coming from like i have that like it's a major realization i've had like oh other people don't need to suffer as much as I suffered just because my life was hard. Yeah. I mean, I went to a wedding, uh, cause the old manager, the old guy who ran it was my roommate. That's also part of nepotism. Mm. Shocker. (laughs) I went to his wedding a couple of years ago and it was me and another guy who also went like the bartender night supervisor route. And he looked at me and he was like, can you believe we gave up being a bartenders for, $16 $16 an hour and so much guff. Cause like when you're a bartender, you make so much more money just in like physical cash. It's, yeah. it's insane. I remember I would like collect like minimum a thousand dollars in cash at the end of every month, just like have it. It was great. But then like, but your, your salary is shit. It's like $10 an hour. So like, you don't really care about it. So like yeah. I would have the cash for my everyday things, but then like, I worked so many hours that like my hourly paid for my rent and then I just paid for everything else in cash. 
Um, but then when you're a night supervisor, you don't make tips, but you get $16 an hour. And like, it does not equal out yeah, it <laughs> like at all. And also like as a bartender, you can just be like, you can cut somebody. Cause like you're, you're free to cut somebody off, anybody off when you're a bartender, because like if somebody's getting too drunk or you don't like them or you're getting too rowdy, you could just be like, sorry, you're not, I'm not serving you anymore. But then when you're a night supervisor, you have to encounter the person who just got cut off and explain to them in a really calm, professional manner how, why they're getting cut off. Yeah. And I was like, I cannot believe I took on that responsibility. That is so stupid. I was like, that was pretty ruthless. I would like, I remember this one guy, he like, it was during an Oktoberfest party. So we would give out steins and you can like refill your stein. He was like slamming his stein on the bar, trying to get my attention. And I think I ignored him for like a good hour he was just like, he just kept slamming it on the bar and like security had to come up to him a couple of times just to be like, you can't do that. And then finally he like lost it at me in front of like me taking an order for like this group of girls. And I was like, I'm so sorry, girls. Like he's been here all day. Like he's belligerent, whatever. And like, I've just been ignoring him. And they were like, oh no, it's fine. He's our friend. Um, and then like tipped me way more, which was great. But like, I just like completely ignored people that I didn't want to serve. And that was like my right because I didn't have to, because like when you're a bartender, you don't have to serve somebody. Yeah. And this is what people should really think about when some of their assholes at a bar, the bartender can cut you off at any moment. And like, it's fully within their legal right to do so. Also, I, I just don't think most people realize that uh, servers make below minimum wage. Yeah, that's, that's it. Like, because uh, minimum I, wage right now in Ontario is 15. I think, I think it they, just like, went to 15. I think they like matched it now. So like server wage. So woo. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think they just matched it now. But like, yeah, like I work for tips. So if you're not going to tip me, then you're not going to get good service. And that's also part of the reason why I like really feel for servers, because like you cannot be mean to somebody when you're a server. When you're a bartender, you can be as mean as you want because like you're in control and like you tip you. You pay for your drink right then and there. You get the tip right then and there. So like at that point, my interaction with you is over. And if you did not tip me very well and you come back for a second drink, I'm going to be infinitely meaner to you. So I don't know. Did you have any weird feelings still being around university after you graduated? Like, I mean, did you have to worry about year. being the cool old guy? Yeah, it was just one year. So I didn't really feel that weird about it. Okay. Uh, Because there was the daytime bartender. So, like, basically, we were open from 11 to whenever the fuck we closed. Um, But there was one guy who worked all of the day shifts, and he was 28. So, like, obviously, I didn't feel very old because, like, I the guy that I was that was working for me during the day when I would be there all the time, he was way older than I was, and I was like, well, I feel young. (laughs) Yeah. So. Uh. Just to jump back a little bit, like what what were the expectations put on you for for university? What were the expectations you had for yourself? Like, were you looking to like become a different person or like create a new identity than who you were before? Oh, or going to university, yeah, definitely wanted to be somebody different. Did I end up being that person? No. Um, cause like I also studied music in university. So like I was like in a cool major and, uh, did a lot of cool things. I studied a lot of music tech, but also part of it was I initially went in for music education and then I switched midway through 
because I didn't want to be a teacher and also I couldn't afford to because like becoming a teacher, you need to do a practicum for a full year, which means you're working for free. You're paying to work for free for the full year to get teaching experience and yeah. you can't work other jobs. So I couldn't afford to lose the job. So I was like, I can't do this right now because I can't feasibly afford it. Um, but I definitely tried to be like less. I feel like first year I did not succeed at becoming less of a loser, <laughs> the loser yeah. that I was in high school. I feel like in my like second or third year, I started to become more confident and like made cooler friends. Montreal's a really cool place. I found out all the cool spots. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was only like towards the end of university where I started to feel more confident and comfortable with like what I wanted to do. But like truly, when I became a manager, I remember ha- I had I actually had like a really big like crisis in the middle of my time there because I had this realization of like I've been working to get to this place as a manager of a bar for four years, and I hate. I was like, I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. This is so bad. So I mean, that's when I found comedy and moved to Toronto. Yeah. Uh, but. I was like, wow, I like worked. And that was part of part of my like, I worked so hard for so long for no fucking reason. <laughs> and like to get like shit on to get like, all, I like all my friends at the bar, like hate me now. And like, fair, I wouldn't like me either. But like, I ruined friendships. I like ruined relationships. I didn't get good work experience. Everybody also who worked at the student as- association did not like that I was in this position too, because I was so young and so mm-hmm. inexperienced. But my boss really fought for me to get that job. So it was like, I have like weird, complicated feelings about it now, obviously, because right. like looking back on it, I'm like, wow, I should not have taken that job. And I should have just fucking like gotten the because like I also was offered a couple things by my boss, which was like I could have just been like a head bartender slash night supervisor. I could have like worked during the daytime. So take that guy who was 28, take his job and just like work every day. There were so many other options for me at the yeah. time. And I just took the one that was like the most appealing and the most work and the most money. And now it's like, well, I would not take that job anymore because it's not what I want to. And like right now I'm in a, in a place where I'm like, I only do work. That's going to service my, what I want to do in the future or pay right. me a lot of money. Yeah. No, I, I, I feel you there. I just, um, did you have a specific like rival within there? Like was a crusty Dean of sorts. always trying to shut you down. Like, because yeah, you said I, that people complained. And yes. Um, I think I had a few rivals. <laughs> Again, I was a monster. So, like, a lot of people did not like me. There was that guy I started bussing with. So, like, we got hired at the same time. I was a way better buster than he was. So, everybody liked me more than him. So, he hated me. And it lasted all the way up to when I was his boss and I ruined his life. Um, that I feel that I feel fine for. He was kind of a dick. So, like, I don't really care. Yeah. Um, we had the student associations, too. Like they had started cracking down. So like basically how McGill, the McGill student society works is that there's like a council of, I think seven now, but it was six, then six people who basically ran the entirety of like all student events. They got paid a full salary. It was like a full-time job. They had offices. They were like, they ran a lot, but a lot of the the main full-time staff, very similar to if the student council at your school had like infinitely more power and a huge budget, like that's how they were. So they had started to like poke at us and like, cause they didn't like the way that we operated sometimes. Cause like, obviously we were debaucherous in a frat house and like doing a lot of things that like weren't quite right. in line with 
what your liquor permit is. So like they would try to always like clean us up or like clean house or like do stuff. And like also there was a lot of weird nepotism. So like the there one is. guy who was uh, the one of the guys on the council, when he left, he came back as a bartender because he like made our boss do that. Oh, so there was like so many and the, and as a kickback, she got like an extra perk on top of it. So it's like there was just so many levels of like weird. Was there also like, did you guys have an agreement with the cops or something? Because if people are getting their stomachs pumped that much. I don't know. Like, I truly don't understand how we did get our liquor license revoked. But I think I think my boss explained this to me once where we had because our liquor permit was so old. We had a liquor permit that was from like the 1980s and it was this really old like permit that like is really hard to take away and especially in montreal where like every restaurant and bar is run by the mob uh your protections are pretty secure when you were when you were in an establishment like that so oh you and i can have a whole separate podcast on this i can oh yeah yeah. (laughs) um so like that's pretty well and who runs it oh yeah uh like the one guy my actually the because like I had a few different bosses while I was there when I first got when I first got started there that that manager quit to start her own bar failed and then went back home and then like in my second or third year there we had the main guy who was like I ended up becoming pretty good friends with even though he was a huge dick but he was a huge mobster so he had ran a bunch of bars yeah. but he was like I want to make legitimate money so I'm going to take these jobs so I can now make the same because he was like, I was making $90,000 before coming here. And I took this job at a pay cut because I could not spend that $90,000 without like washing it. Yeah. Um, but he knew everybody and he knew like pretty much everybody in Montreal who ran establishments. Well, and a restaurant is a really good place to wash that kind of money too. Oh, hundred percent. He told me a story once where he like, cause he ran like a big club in Quebec city, but he would commute there every day from like Montreal to Quebec city and then come back. And there was one time his boss was like, I have a truck for you to deliver. Um, when you're, when you're done. So he like went to this truck and like was driving it back. And one of the tires popped in the middle of the highway. And he called his boss just being like, one of the tires popped. And he's like, well, you got to figure it out. Don't call the cops and like hung up on him. So it was like 6am. He's stranded on the highway with this huge truck. He needs to get back to Montreal in like three hours. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was, uh, he was like, that was the scariest moment of my entire life. And I was like, wow, I will never know that fear because <laughs> I am a small boy. There's a, okay. <laughs> There's a bar in Winnipeg called Bar I. And it used to be run by the Italian mob. And then they sold it to the Irish mob so that the I never needed to change. It was always yeah. an I related thing. But it's so funny. Well, it's not funny. There's been so many shootings there oh, over the years. But then, like, my my friends, because my hangover cure for years was their iced coffee and jalapeno cheddar fries. Okay. And there's like, how can you go there? It's filmed. <laughs> I'm like, because I go in the morning when the murder doesn't happen. You yeah. know? There's nothing wrong with the iced coffee. There's nothing wrong like with the cheddar fries. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. Yeah, yeah. You just like, you just know when exactly to leave. <laughs> right. It's like when somebody's like, when you're phoning, like, Hey, I need a boiler installed or I need this electrical work done. 
and they quote you five times what you know it's worth. And they're like, that was weird. Why does that business stay open? Because they're not actually electricians. No. I mean, they, like, they would fix something, but it's got to be the equivalent amount of money they would make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Again, another thing I don't think people realize about restaurant industry and yeah, all this other a lot stuff. of it's propped up by illegal money. Sorry, going back to the, I just like this just popped to my brain. I forgot about this too. There was a huge rival we had in my there we go for, my my first year bartending because when that manager came in, the, like the mob guy, he wanted to tighten up everything and like make it so that it's not like a frat house party where like people are doing drinking games. So it really tightened up. And so the management faculty, which was like a huge patron of ours, they hated that because all they wanted to do was just like get, like they would order like Jaeger bombs all night. And like, they would order them in like 20 or 30 Jaeger bombs and like, just like do them all. And like, it was there. They were terrible. I hate management. Um, uh, faculty. but um, there was this like Evo, the student hotel that was like a student residence, but for like people who are out of residence, basically kids who didn't want to grow up. Um, they opened up their own bar in their basement and were like, and they were like true mobsters. My, my boss was like, do not fuck with them. Like they are hardcore. So they opened up their own bar and let them drink and like do whatever the fuck they wanted. And they also price matched us. So they were taking things at a loss. They were doing like, like our, I think our sangria was like $15 a pitcher. They made it like $14 a pitcher. So they outpriced us. They were like, they like signed all of these exclusive contracts with the management faculty. So like they had all of their events there. Like they really tried to like, they, and like there was a while for like, there was like, cause like usually like, uh, frosh is pretty big for us, but management has their own frosh called carnival, like uh, carnival. I think it's called. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's like winter frosh. Everybody like gets up in snowsuits, drinks a ton. It's like it's really debaucherous. And we would be like the main providers of liquor. We would do everything for them. But then when this bar opened up, they signed that exclusive contract. So like that, all like we lost. I think ten thousand dollars in that one month because they had moved it all to that one bar. And these guys were like bad dudes. So they were really trying to undercut us at every single point. It was like getting really scary to the point where like I was going and like snitching on them. And like, I, like my boss was like, do not tell people you're doing this, but like do this, call this, use this phone. And I was like, Oh God, I don't know what to do. Um, oh, wow. So yeah, it was bad. I forgot about, Oh my God. I forgot about this. Like, Oh wow. Fuck. Again, a lot of this is like so deeply repressed. <laughs> I know this is this is turning into Gone Girl a little bit, where it's like, wait, what? Yeah, it truly is like, it's wild. Oh my god, I can't believe I forgot about that. Those that those fucking assholes. I mean, like, obviously, I think after five months, uh, people stopped going to that bar because like people would get so drunk that like a lot of people were turned off by going there. So it was only like the hardcore partiers that would go there. Yeah, and then it wasn't they they couldn't promise the same amount of revenue because everybody started coming back to us so they couldn't promise the same things anymore so like a lot of their contracts got spiked up uh so they owed more money and because they were locked into some contracts they had to keep going there and like they were they were like begging people at certain points to go to that bar because like they ended up losing because they were just too debaucherous and like that's not how you that's not a fun environment for everybody so all right we we have the mob involved we've got all this stuff do you think that there is one particular person in this group that's out to get you or is it more like a usual suspects 
situation where you were f- set up to fail or a um, uh, uh, murder on the Orient Express where everyone's in on it? I feel like it's an everybody's in on it thing. Cause like, again, I pissed a lot of people off. So, and a lot of them knew each other too. Like there were people who like, like that guy that I hated, who was like the bus boy that got hired the same, he was like in management. So like he was running, he was helping to run a lot of these events. So he like purposefully did that to like spite us and like gave them our playbook. Oh wow. He did do that. Fuck. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, I guess it was just like, there was a bunch of people like major players all got together and like, they really tried to take us all down and they ended up failing. Like, obviously yeah. like we were a student bar that like could run at a loss because that's not, it's not our money to make a profit. Whereas like, this is a real business. They needed to make a profit at some point. So. Right. Did you ever feel like threatened? Or- uh, I never felt threatened. I like, there were times where I was just like, I don't want to deal with this you deal with it. And I was, I was very like, I would pass off. And like, at the time it was very dangerous. Cause like, Oh, like at a certain point, a lot of our night supervisors were women and like really like small, cute women. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I remember one time I booked an event that like, I just did not want, did not want to deal with. So I like, I put all of these people on, I was like the best bartenders, the best people they're there. I don't have to deal with it. And I realized I had booked all women for this event and i was like oh god what did i do <laughs> like hindsight now i'm like wow that was so problematic of me because like oh the, like like obviously they got treated they all got treated like shit and like that's mainly my fault i should have been there as like a male presence and like i don't mean to be sexist now that sounds problematic but like there were people who were like straight up sexist bigots and like assholes who like would book events with us and like uh yeah, uh, yeah. so i mean yeah i was just like I don't support women. Like, I'm not a girl's yeah. girl. <laughs> I was very much a guy's girl. <laughs> you can also yeah, feel to cut that all that out if it makes you look bad. <laughs> this, uh, no, but it is that thing about, like, back in the day, it's not even so much that, like, a lot of people had bad intentions in their hearts. It's just they never considered it. They needed someone else to go, like, hey, ever notice when this happens, this happens? Or, like, uh, like yeah. yeah and also they're like leaving leaving the bar with like cash like a lot of these bartenders are just like i have i have my my rent and my life in my hands and if i lose this money i'm fucked yeah. thankfully we were on we were on campus so like we weren't like in the like, mcgill's in the middle of the city but we were on campus so like they were relatively safe but like when they leave campus and they're walking home i'm like i don't know what happens to them afterwards like that could be dangerous. So, oh, especially considering how much money you could leave with. Yeah, I mean, like I've heard so many stories about like a lot of my bartender friends just like getting robbed right after their shift, and like they lose a thousand dollars because then they, they lose on rent and groceries for that for that month because it's like that guy just stole a huge chunk of my income. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, I I have to resist with like my love of history to be like, you see in the 1920s tipping was, and just go through this whole thing about why we have tipping and why servers are underpaid specifically. Oh, hundred percent. I also, I agree with that too. I, I've always advocated for, there should be no tipping. There should just be, you get the service you get and you're not obligated to like give somebody your money, but also a living wage. Yeah. And give them a living wage. Like, cause I, like I know that England. like, yeah, like, uh, I had, I had, there's one person who worked at the bar. She, she was from the UK 
And she told me, she was like, yeah, I have a, I, like I, you would get paid like $25 an hour, $30 an hour to work at the bar. And like, nobody tipped you, but like, it was, it was hell. The only thing with that is that like on the really, really busy nights, it was very worth it to work because uh, oh, actually like this, I'm, I'm going to scratch that because it's this thing where like on like soup, like on big events, like Super Bowl or St. Patrick's day or like any huge mixer when like a lot of people are showing up, there's this weird mentality, especially with students, where they don't tip a lot because they know that you're going to get more tips. So they feel like they can undercut you. So you yeah. actually end up breaking even. But then on random busy nights, you make so much money because everybody's tipping the same. Like, I think because like also our drinks are super cheap. So like on a two dollar drink, I would make one dollar. Like 100 percent. Yeah. So like, yeah. So. It was like it was always just like either a dollar down or two dollars down for every drink I did. Then if it was a pitcher, it was always like three dollars down. Um, and I would turn around like four thousand orders in a night. So it's like that's all just kind of like zooming over my head between like two people. Like obviously you work with the same bar with mm-hmm. two people, but yeah. So do you even think that the trial that's happening right now was about you? Like, yeah, maybe you came up as a character witness and then you said something and they're like, wait, what? Well, then- I think I'm the one that's being on trial because, like, I've been framed in this big way. And, like, that's the setup for it is that, like, maybe the shadow organization of, like, all the yeah. people that hated me have plotted my demise. And that's what you think is going to happen. Right. But then that's- are we going straight up murder? Is it uh, embezzling? Uh, I think embezzling because I think like, it's a more realistic. I hate when people are like, oh, it's murder because, like, Al Capone got arrested on tax fraud so like i feel like money crimes is always the way that you get bad people so um like i feel like the shadow organization and all of these things are like a red herring for like my actual crimes which were actually like i was embezzling a lot of money and maybe doing some shady things on the side maybe i've like maybe i like my tone to the mob to like we don't know is it is it also like are we going to see all the people like testify against you to like slowly build the story? Yeah. I feel like in those drinking blackouts. So when I drink and I have a memory, you'll like get a flash and you'll see how the memory transpires. And then like, it might like slow fade into like how like them on the, on the stand telling their story. Do you know you're a bad person or is this slowly dawning on you? I think it slowly dawns on me throughout the movie. I feel like there are parts like obviously the first act I'm like, I'm innocent. I don't know what I did wrong. Like this was years ago. Like, I don't know. I was just a kid. Yeah. And then in the second act, I really like it's the second act is kind of the setup for this, like the shadow organizations that are trying to get me down. Yeah. And then at the end of the second act is actually revealed that like, no, I am, I am a bad person. I did the things that like they are accusing me of. And I'm like, it's interesting. I never thought about usual suspects as like a reference for this, but I think that like maybe like usual suspects can be a reference for this where like the house of cards I've created, maybe like a lot of this stuff I'm like creating this. Cause like also a lot of my brain now, I assume everybody hates me until proven otherwise. So 
uh maybe like i'm setting all of this stuff up and i've actually just been like the villain the entire time maybe like all of this is in my brain that like that guy who i started busting with he doesn't actually hate me he actually really liked me and wanted to be my friend but then i was a huge dick to him and i ruined his life for no reason and then like this other bar that was happening they actually didn't have like all of the stuff that i'm saying they just wanted another spot to like hang out because i was getting set because the, the bar that i was running was getting so bad maybe that's the fallout of act three is that like yeah my like the tale that I've been telling myself for so many years has like been unwoven and I'm starting to remember like, cause like for me, like, again, I don't remember like these little details that I've been popping up throughout the hour that I've been talking to you. Like I truly cannot remember. I truly like just remembering them in the moment right now. And, but for the most part I have like things that I like kind of remember, but like mostly I'm just like, yeah, I think I was a fine boss. And like, I was, it was a good time. And like, I had a good, had a good, had a good thing going well would you equate yourself to al capone in this instance because one of the things that if you ever have to take social justice or anything they use al capone as a really good example of like he is a victim of his own circumstances like he had no other way to get out of that poverty other than rum running and stuff like that so it's just like are you a victim of your own system i think so i mean uh like I paid my way through university. So I had to like get a job that was good that could fit within my schedule. And this bar was like, cause also when I don't, I don't know if you, in Montreal, they have like, you need to be bilingual if you need to get a, if you want to get a job in Montreal, cause Quebec French laws yeah. pro- prohibit like Anglos from getting jobs when they, when they don't speak French. So like part of, part of like the loophole in that was like, if you were for like an English speaking institution, you don't need to. So in, since McGill was an English speaking institution, um, this was one of the few jobs that you can get as an Anglo in Montreal. Um, That's like, and it was like a really good job. Like it paid really well, obviously like the hours. Also the bar was only open Monday to Friday. So I got my weekends, which was great. Um, so for like a bar job, it's like one of the best ones. Also, it's not run by the mob, which is which all Montreal bars are. Yeah. So like this was like one of the few jobs that I could get that would be able to like pay for the lifestyle that I was able to have, which was like not not a lot. Like I lived on the McGill in the McGill ghetto, but I lived my apartment was like Montreal is like 500 bucks for like what would what do you get with a thousand dollars in Toronto? I mean, I think it's changed a little yeah. bit now that it's a little bit more expensive, but like rent's like start cheap in montreal so like i lived with like a lot of roommates i lived like like really far east really far west uh like i've lived in like i was in like apartments for like 300 bucks a, a month and like i really had to like pay my own way whereas i saw a lot of my friends did not have to and like they got to live in the Miguel ghetto in like a thousand dollar apartments that were oh, paid wow. for the, by their parents um and like i I got that in the end, but I got to pay for it myself because like when I became a bartender, I got to like live in the Miguel ghetto and like, I lived in a really nice apartment for like $700, but like I was paying for that and I needed the cash and from this job. So this is your Starface montage of just like all the money driving the cars. Yeah. I guess that could inform my character that like, this is a struggle for me. And that's part of the reason why I worked so hard too, is that like, I like couldn't lose this job. So like I needed to work hard to get the money. And I felt like a lot of people who didn't work hard, weren't taking it seriously because they had their parents to pay for all their shit. And this was just like drinking money for them and a fun time when it's like, for me, this is my life. So like, if I fuck up or lose this job, then I'm screwed. So like, I would always like envy them. So like, it was a little bit of jealousy. The fact that like, people were able to be bad at their jobs and I was not. 
So I don't know. I mean, what, what, what changed? What, what made you the Chris you are now? Uh, I think like going through that experience was really formative for me just because like it really changed my perspective on like how I, how I work. So I, at first I was like very gung ho. I have a very big keener. I work really hard. And I think there's still a little bit of that in me now, but because of that whole experience of like, I burnt myself out so hard and like, I like obviously I can't bartend anymore now because like my wrists are fucked up, my back hurts. And like, that's all remnants from the remnants yeah. and injuries from that time where I'm like, I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe like pouring five pitchers it like just with your hands holding all the beer as it flows in is not a good idea for your body, but you know, you're young. So like you have the bones <laughs> that you have yeah. and they're all nimble. Whereas now I'm old at 28 and I feel like I'm breaking. Well, I'm um, also really into that whole idea of like the, the injuries we think we have because we're holding on to like tension and anger. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm interested to even watch your, <laughs> watch your posture correct itself over the, over the course of this podcast. It's like, Oh, I, I can go back to gymnastics again. I'm furious. Yeah. I'm going to go for a run now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a limp in the movie. Like I have a limp that uh, slowly gets better as I remember everything. <laughs> so I'm letting right. go of all of the drama. Well, cause you have to um, have like a pimp cane when you go up to the, uh, up to the stand. Yeah. I like hobble a lot. Um, but yeah, but like back to like, I guess that like, I, I don't work as hard now. I, I'm very like, I'm very much like I work to get a paycheck and like, if it's not going to service, I, I, I'm really good at the things that I love to do and I will put work and time and energy into those things. But I like know how to prioritize my time because I also like didn't have much of a social life outside of work when I went university. And I really regret that because I obviously like I had my weekend. So like that was pretty good. But like during the week I was beholden to like my schedule and like obviously Wednesdays and Fridays were the biggest nights. So like I would always go out every Wednesday, every Friday that I'd work some Tuesdays too. So like my schedule was very dependent, especially my social schedule was very dependent on when I was working. Um, and also my school, my schooling suffered, I feel too, because at a certain point I just started to like prioritize work over studying. And I think I could have gotten like a better grade school if I like did not work so hard and did not take it so seriously. Right. So I'd always, also always, always be like, like during exam time, I would work every shift because nobody wanted to work because they were all studying for exams. And I'm like, I'm in music. I don't have very many exams. So I just like go in and I prioritize whenever. Um, like I didn't prioritize myself. <laughs> this is like mm-hmm. the, the core of the message. Prioritize you. <laughs> yes, the Oprah moment. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that job really like, like snapped me out, especially like that, that like really big breakdown I had when I was managing. I was like, I have not, that's part of the two, like, um, I, part of the reason why I got fired, I think mm-hmm. I told you this, uh, earlier where, yes, but not why. Basically we had some organizational shifts where like, cause there was a council of six that were running everything, but then they split up. They had a finance and operations uh, counselor, but they split up that position to finance and operations, but they voted to split up that position, but they didn't, didn't vote for the student fee increase to be able to pay for that position. So they need to make cuts within the, the department. And this is around the same time I was like struggling with like, what am I going to do? I think I'm going to quit. And I told my boss, like, I think I'm going to, I'm probably going to quit after this. And he was like, hold on. And then like leaves for like a good couple minutes. And then he comes back and he's like, I'm going to fire you. And like, it's not personal. 
like I would keep you if you wanted to stay and like you can feel free to pull the trigger at any point if you want to stay. But I'm going to fire you around the same time you want to quit. I'm going to give you the summer because the summers from May to from May to September were also closed. So like I'm going to give you the summer to like keep working here. Um, But like when you quit, apply for EI after this. So you get an, a full year of like a paycheck because like I was paying a non-employment. So like, yeah. As much as he was shitty, he like that was like a really good thing for him to do for me because like he could have just let me quit and I could have left. I could have left, but like I had a full year in Toronto where I didn't have to work because I was making the same, like roughly the same amount of money that I was making working full time. I mean that that sounds great, and it also like I like that it's a very sweet relationship with the mob guy. Yeah. Also, I'm just like, oh, if if there was a time when I would suspect in a movie that someone screwed you, it would be that moment. You'd just be like, here and take all this money, go have fun starting your car in the parking lot. Like that's. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that could be it. Maybe he did this really nice thing for me and maybe I'm on trial because that money that I was getting from the government was embezzled. <laughs> yeah. Something weird like that. Again, I, I want Riverdale influence in this, so it could be as loopy as it wants to be. <laughs> right. Oh, and we can just say, like, everyone in this is hot. And therefore, we've oh. made our quotient. Yeah, I'm getting played by, like, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Jake Gyllenhaal is playing a 20-year-old. Yeah. So. Oh, also, is there a product that you would feel comfortable selling your soul for that can just pay for the movie? Oh. Um, I mean, I feel like we'd see so many beer labels that that's. Oh, I, I think that, like. Obviously, like as somebody who ran a bar, beer companies are like horny for sponsorship. <laughs> um, yeah. and I know that. Um, I guess that like I worked for Mill Street after like within the past few years. That was, that was my last job. Um, my last bar job. I now work in <laughs> startups, which sucks. Yeah. Um, no, I love my job. It's great. Don't yeah. listen. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Mill Street, I think would be a good partnership for this because like Labatt also too part of the whole chain empire. Mm. Cause we only had big names. We had Sleeman's, we had McCoslin, which is Moosehead, uh, like, uh, Blanche de Chambly, like a lot of the Unibrew stuff. Yeah. I love uh, Moosehead, no, but that also Unibrew is what part of the country I'm from. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like a big beer brand, I think would be good. Also a really cheap liquor brand. I feel like would be good too. Cause like our tequila, I loved it. It was called tequila bang bang. And, oh. uh, and it looked like a wanted poster. It was like red, green with like a wood tones. It looked it looked cheap. It tasted cheap. I loved it. It was great. That's why I can do tequila straight because I would just drink that stuff all the time. See, my favorite so like, product placement is just is anything you can drink where you could just be in the middle of like, I can't believe you did that. Is that a, a Mill Street? Wow, yeah. that was strong and refreshing. But I anyway, mean, obviously yeah. like. All of the pictures have like Mill Street logos on them. All the glasses are like Mill Street logoed. Oh, maybe I'll get uh, Vita Tequila, Lisa Barlow's brand from Salt Lake City. Ooh, <laughs> I think she would be to- so into this. I love, I love. I, I, do you watch Salt Lake City? Real Housewives? No, no, I haven't gotten there yet. Okay. I'm catching up on things. It's great. Uh, I I became obsessed with the Housewives over the pandemic. I recommend it. It's if you want to watch rich, rich rich women fight about nothing, truly nothing. You know, what? Um, honestly, okay. So uh, our mutual <laughs> friend Candace got me into Riverdale over the pandemic because I had a minor brain injury. It was like I pulled <laughs> I pulled a muscle in my brain. Oh no! And, 
And the doctor told me, like, you need to just don't learn anything for, like, three weeks. Just don't do anything. And Candace just like, let me help you. This is the television you should be watching. So, like, the first two seasons of Riverdale got me through a lot. Yes. A lot. I mean, I have my life to think for. I mean, like, Candace and mutual friend Bridget Can and I mm-hmm. have had a Riverdale podcast. Now it's over. We, we ended it during the pandemic because we were watching Riverdale too much, but... Yeah, you're not just great. under the, the blanket of the rude dudes. Rude dudes, yes. Does that um, still exist? No, it does not. Uh, we stopped it because we were watching, I think, an average of five hours of Riverdale a week. And that's too much Riverdale for anybody to be watching. Wow. <laughs> we also got sponsored to do watch parties and stuff. Like, we like yeah. we were doing Riverdale in other capacities outside the podcast. But I remember walking walking with Bridget over the pandemic and looking at her and just being like, I can't do this anymore. And she was like, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> um, I still love the show. I can enjoy it now because I don't. It's not my job anymore. But yeah. ah, great show. Okay. All right, perfect. And do you have an idea? Like, can we just walk our way through what the trailer for this movie would look like? The trailer for this movie. Um, also, do you have an idea what the title should be? Oh, God. I think it should be the title of the bar. The title of the bar should be something really stupid. Um, Like oh, something about memory, something about maybe Blackout. That would be a good trailer. Blackout title. Good. Yeah. This is about like drinking and people get blackout. Um or okay. blacked out or something like that. Something with like that suffix or like something punny with the blackout. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Then, All right. Then the, yeah, then the trailer. Okay. <laughs> I want like a really like like gritty um slowed down. Like you know when like people do like slowed down versions of like pop songs? Yeah, I really want like a slowed down, gritty, sexy version of Timber by Pitbull featuring Kesha. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And because that song actually got removed from our jukebox because it was played so much. <laughs> yeah, somebody put, I think, $50 in it and just requested Timber over and over and over and over and over again. We had a Touch Tunes, uh, it's brand Touch Tunes uh, system where like you can like put in money, pick a song. It's a jukebox. It like minimizes our music, puts on the, puts on your music. And then it goes back to our playlist afterwards. That's but so he funny. played Timber. I was there that night. I wanted to scream. I heard Timber 30 to 40 times. And everybody was just like, not wanting in on the song. So the next day, my boss called touch tunes, the company and requested that Timber get removed from our jukebox. And then everybody started a petition like there was a there's like a GoFundMe there's a petition to like uh, a change our position to like get Timber back on our jukebox and like one of the women was like my my dad's the president of this company I'm gonna like get it back it was like a huge ordeal but like yeah Timber a really sexy That's version of Timber so by Pitbull so featuring Kesha <laughs> like maybe it's, it's maybe it's down. slow down <sighs> because the jukebox machine is breaking maybe yeah maybe it's like it starts like the trailer it starts off with me in the bar like cleaning glasses as the song's playing in that yeah. like high fidelity like just the highs of the song and then somebody like walks in it's like the like the like a little bell chimes as somebody walks in goes chris middleton you're under arrest and then it goes like uh-huh. and like it cuts into like the sexy version as the trailer happens 
No, like as it's speeding up and slowing down, it's got to keep cutting back to dead, like someone getting his stomach pumped or like the mob yeah. moving in next door. And it's like, yeah. yeah, I want the trailer to be very like uh, Christopher Nolan, like a Christopher yeah. Nolan Batman movie, just like really like like really quick sound effect cuts, like that are part of the song in the trailer. But like also like Fifty Shades of Grey, kind of that same like 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 that's right. like a cut in the movie. I don't know. I really want it to be like a sexy trailer, like a really dark again, like Riverdale. Yeah. This I, kind of vibe. <laughs> I do like the idea of just a professor who's constantly trying to drop uh, some sort of profound knowledge, and it keeps on getting ignored over something more fucked up <laughs> happening every time. <laughs> Yeah, just Jordan Peterson in the background getting sadder and sadder, and that's why he <laughs> radicalizes everybody. <laughs> yeah, this is Jordan. Yeah, this movie is Jordan Peterson's or, or like Joker origin story. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh. Ugh, what a man! I hate Did he him. Get busted. What is it? He was in rehab for cocaine. I don't care. <laughs> I, well, I wasn't surprised. But no, I don't not care. at all. My favorite thing. Uh, this is a sidetrack. My boyfriend his old roommate because they used to go to the Y and Jordan Peterson lives in the NX where I live. He used to go to the Y all the time to work out or the Jewish community center that's around the corner. Mm. And he would see them there. He would see Jordan Peterson there, try to work out. But like dudes would just crowd him shouting their theories about women and shitty things at him. And he was like, you know, I hate him as a person, but I love that he's cultivated this audience that will not leave him alone in public. Like, he just, like, wanted to work out, and these men were just like, yeah, but, like, I love your opinions about, like, the chaos and the order. Oh, wow. <laughs> Truly a horrible, disgusting man. Yeah, yeah. it's, uh, he, he's empowering a certain type of not thinking. No. Just incredulousness, like, willful ignorance and incredulousness that's like, oh, what did he post about recently that was like, somebody did a thing that was like, Somebody tweeted something and he responded to it like, what do you mean you're doing this? With who? How? What does that even mean? I don't know. And it's like, oh, don't be an asshole. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever. Anyways, let's not talk about that, man. But yeah. uh, Oh, right. So then the police come. They're just like, Chris Milton, you're under arrest. Yeah. And then like there's a shot of me in the interrogation. I didn't do anything. And like let's trust the trial. There's like little snippets from like the parties that I have. They're all kind of like meshed together in this like really beautiful like shot way. Obviously, I want Euphoria. The director for Euphoria. What's her name? Hold on. Let me look it up. But we're doing the second season of Euphoria. You I'm going to. I, if I ever get a movie, you're directing it, and I will give you whatever amount of money you want because you are a genius. Yeah, that's great. Um, so whoever she is, um, she's going to direct a lot of the lighting and movie and choices. Um, so, like, obviously the trailer is just going to be, like, this really beautiful melange of just, like, party sequences and trial sequences and, like, me remembering. Maybe there's, like, a yeah. multiverse of madness moment where I, like, I go into, like, a mirror dimension and I'm just like, no! no. <laughs> <laughs> try to remember things as I'm like drinking <laughs> right no I want a, a moment of you in the courthouse just being like chug 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 just like I re- now ask me about January 7th 1993 yeah 
Oh, also the thing is that like the the basically the the modern day version, so like the real time version is going to be like all sepias, like very muted colors, very like kind of film grade. Then any flashback is going to be like hyper saturated. This is just like a cinematic note that I want for my director, yeah. <laughs> like hyper saturated, like bold colors, like really like intoxicating. Like I want like people to evoke like Project X or like again like a lot of bisexual lighting. Oh, Euphoria, first season of Euphoria, Riverdale, that kind of stuff. Who directed Drive and then the movie that uh, Ryan Gosling oh. did directly after with the same oh. person that was like all bisexual lighting? Yeah. Holy. This is the moment where we find out that they are directing Euphoria. It's like, oh my God. That, I wouldn't put it past them. Like, it's a lot of, I mean, like, I think the person that's directing Euphoria is a little bit better because <laughs> some of the lighting choices have been. So good. Oh, Nicholas uh, Reffin? I don't know. I don't know. That's a director. Euphoria season two. Director. That's all I want to know. That's all I want to know. Yeah, Augustine Frizzle and then Sam Levinson, Jennifer Morrison, and Pippa Bianco. All of you. I mean, Sam Levinson, oh. you can take or leave because you're the creator of Euphoria. So whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, yeah, those those directors and cinematographers, I want you in my circle, please. <laughs> what what do you want the audience thinking about as they leave the theater? Obviously, it's like a comment on capitalism and like work culture. Um, no, I want like, um, like I get like I, I said that really shittily, but like it is like a thing that's like I want them to leave of like maybe you don't need to take things so seriously. And like, I don't need to work as hard as I should be doing. Cause like, again, like it's the toxicity of work and like the grind and like hustle culture that like perpetuates all of this stuff. So you know what, actually that's kind of perfect where that is your downfall. Cause I'm thinking of all those movies like Scarface and like if Scarface had just taken a moment to be like, who am I doing this for? Who am I trying to impress? I'm already enough. Exactly. Like, I gave up on a lot of things to work at that shitty bar. And I'm like, I would never do that ever again. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm I'm the same way. I work myself to death. And then I get resent people for not working as hard or not getting in my way while I'm working that hard. Like, that has been a real journey for me. Yeah. Also, like, the, the work that you do. Like, it's okay to, like, do... Also, like, just ask for what you want, too. That's been my, like, biggest pandemic thing. It's just, like... I remember I I had a freelance client recently where, like, I quoted them so much money and more money than I felt comfortable quoting, and they just took it. And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) I was like, great. (laughs) I am working this bizarre job right now, and every time I send... Because I'm editing their scripts... And my job is to fix them. So I feel like every letter I send is like, this is why what you did is stupid. Give me money. Like, yeah. And I just always feel like, and now I'm going to be fired. And I never am because I'm right. But also it it feels weird. Yeah, it feels weird to like put a lot of value on your work, but you got it. And nobody else is going to do it but you. So that's what I want to people to walk away from this movie doing is in empower- <laughs> ultimately this weird party movie is about empowerment and don't work so hard and enjoy your life. Cause yeah, literally everyone else around you is enjoying themselves and yeah. you are being a dick to them. 
yeah, I'm like, you're you're on your phone at work. Get out of the bar. And I take it and I just like throw the phone up at the wall and it shatters. <laughs> That's like a really encouraging message, actually. And I do like that it gets so hard. And it, you, you've got the beats of something really good here. Yeah, I think it's, this is like a doable movie. I came in just being like, I want to unpack a lot of this stuff and see what I can remember. Because like, truly, I do not remember half of the things that I said. <laughs> no, I like, and I'm wow. sad that we didn't record the audio, the visual of this because I've watched your eyes like open up in real time. And I'm just like, oh, he's really remembering this right now. Yeah, I am not doing this as a bit. I did not like, I was like, I want to do this because like, I was thinking about this recently of like this experience. And I was just like, I don't remember half of what happened, but yeah. Chris Middleton, thank you so much for being here and hanging out with us. And uh, to the audience, you're welcome. This is a free <laughs> podcast. You're welcome, and I'm sorry. And if yeah. again, if you did work for me, uh, feel free to reach out and get whatever you need from me <laughs> to like feel better about yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is your step nine. He's taking open calls for <laughs> step nine. Exactly. Right. Goodbye, everyone. All right. Goodbye. There we go. Up Your Life has been a stupid fancy production in partnership with Showbiz Monkeys. The show was hosted and created by Andrew Lazotte. You can find Andrew on Twitter and Instagram as at ThinLazotte, or check us out on Facebook at Punch Up Your Life. Theme music was composed and performed by Leif Ingerbritsen, photography by Tyra Sweet, and artwork was designed by Todd Graham. The show was produced, edited, fact-checked, and all questions and tangents were researched by me, Matt Ardell. Please remember to like and subscribe, and leave a comment. Let us know which stories you'd like to see get made into a film, or pitch us your own story. Who knows? You could end up being the next guest of the show. Thanks for listening, and remember, you are the hero of your own story.